This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the world's smartest podcast network. When I go to Sacramento, I will pump up Sacramento. Sacramento. Some say the news is fake. Others say it's real. These two don't have the time to check. Instead, Turner Sparks and Michael Ira Kaplan turn to comics stationed around the globe to be their eyewitness reporters so that you can know what's really going on. This is Lost in America. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the World's Smartest Podcast Network Roundtable. Another one. We're back. I'm Turner Sparks. With me, Sir Michael Ira Kaplan. You can find me at turnersparks.com. You can find Kaplan at Cap in America on Instagram. This show is at Lost in America Pod on Instagram. We put out uh, weekly clips, daily clips all the time from our from our Lost in America show, where yeah. we have comedians from around the world telling telling uh, informing us of global and news news events that are happening in their city. Uh, Kaplan. On today, we're, uh, we have Andrea Jones Roy, uh, Dr. Andrea Jones Roy, excuse me, and Andrew Heaton, the great Andrew Heaton, joining us from their shows. Andrea Jones Roy hosts the Ask a Political Scientist podcast, and uh, Andrew Heaton hosts the Pol- uh, Political Orphanage. Those are both great shows. Andrew Heaton's show is almost like a middle, down the middle, slightly libertarian take on politics. He has big guests on from the, from the libertarian world. And uh, from all the whole world, he's gets a, he gets everybody. You're right. He has global. He has guests on from around the world who are who are high profile uh, guests who you might not hear in politics. You might not hear in a lot of these other big podcasts. And of course, uh, ask a political scientist. Andrea Jones Roy has on a, pol- a comedian and a poli- uh, and a political, political scientist. And they break down usually statistics type stuff. She used mm. to work at 538. She, she's a professor at NYU in statistics. She comes from a statistics background. So they break down, well, everyone in Florida voted like this. So why did they? And they go into the stat, the deep stats, deep dives into how that all happened. Kaplan, how are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm all right. You know, I got the coronavirus. People who didn't listen to Monday's show should uh, go back and check it out. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. It's like we're on day six here, I think. And uh, I'm, I'm still like a little sweaty as we talk, a little, a little lethargic. I'm about to try not to keel over, but I think if I do keel over, it's good for good for the podcast, probably. So it's good uh, for the pod. Yeah, it's good for the pod. It's like it's like every time, you know, this disease is it's not like I feel like people look that everybody's sending their well wishes and I appreciate them all. I think because this 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 uh, thing has been in our life for so long, people have this like it's like a different kind of fear than you have of a normal like, you know, when you just get sick normally. 
with Corona. So people, yeah. yeah, with Corona. So everyone's very concerned. And for the most part, I don't think I've had a serious case, you know, but then it, I see how this is. It's like, you feel like you're better. And then all of a sudden you just feel like crap again. It just keeps, it ebbs and flows a lot. So right now I'm like, eh, a little, a little losing my energy a little bit. You lose it's it, it of, comes. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those roller coasters that, you know, you think you're done and then, whoa, there's one last like, woo, 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 up, down, up, down thing. It's yeah. It just doesn't like, you can't, it's like you feel this little thing inside your body and it's like your antibodies are pushing it out and it keeps being like, eh, jump back in, stick my toes back in. So it just keeps fucking things up inside of me. So, well, it's good <laughs> to have you almost out of it. Hopefully yeah. almost yeah. out of it. Um, this week's been a wild week for us here on the show. We've done Three episodes of uh, Lost uh, Live in the Live from the Bunker, which is our show on Patreon, and yeah. that's just this week. I mean, it's normally it's documenting our lives during quarantine with me doing comedy as a comedian in New York City and you uh, uh, living with kids, uh, trying to trying to negotiate that in quarantine. But this week, it's specifically been about what's going on with you in stuck in your room. I mean, you haven't mm. left this room in in a week so um yeah, get that room. you can go to patreon.com slash loss in america that supports this show and for five dollars a month you get those three extra comedy shows a week that's full throttle comedy me and kaplan going nuts uh documenting our lives and for ten dollars a month you can get our t-shirt you get that show plus the shirt the lost in america podcast shirt which says uh, number one in armenia with a map of Armenia, the real Armenia, the full <laughs> Armenia drawn map right <laughs> yeah. there on the front. Uh, so that's we, we, that? we declared it the way like Trump declared like Western Sahara's part of Morocco. We declared like this is the Armenian map. We this is what we're acknowledging is Armenia. So that's Armenia. And it's a great shirt. Well, and we also uh, consulted with our past Armenian guests. On right. How it's Armenia's perspective. Exactly. So. Direct Margarian gave us specific instructions on how to draw it. We did it that way. So get that. Uh, you can also just buy that shirt if you want. It's 25 bucks or for $10, uh, $10 a month, you can get the shirt delivered straight to you. Kaplan, what we want to tell everybody is go listen to, oh, and sorry, next week we'll be back to our regular, regular podcast format, which is comedians from around the world telling us, uh, filling us in on the global events happening in their country, making yes. us all a little smarter. A little Cap smarter. But last thing we want to do, we want to implore our, our listeners here on Lost in America to go check out the full World Smartest Podcast Network lineup. That is Ask a Political Scientist with Andrew Jones-Roy. Political Orphanage with Andrew Heaton. You can go to worldsmartestpodcastnetwork.com and everything's right there. And we should say we recorded this episode how long ago? Uh, a week ago. A week ago. But I think it's, I don't think it's as dated. I don't, I think it's, I think it's going to hold up very strong, but just don't hold anything against us if it's uh... <laughs> Oh, this is also pre, this is the day before you found out you had Corona. That's what it, I knew there was something, I'm trying to think like I knew something big in the world that we didn't acknowledge and that's what it was. Yeah. I had coronavirus. So see if you can find any clues in my voice or anything. <laughs> so let's get to the show. Hey, gang. Nice to see you. Good Hello. to see Hello. you, everybody. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, okay, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the worst <laughs> thing you could possibly do at the beginning of an episode and say that I'm running at like 85% heating right now uh, mm. because uh, it's 20 degrees. No, actually, actually, hold on. It's 40 degrees now inside the scam. It's got up to 40 degrees. But I've been, uh, I, I was on the side of the road last night uh, uh, sleeping and I, I kept waking up because of cars and also my propane heater broke and I have a broken toe. Jesus. <laughs> so, so I'm, is in a camper van I'm in drinking West as much Texas. coffee as I can. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I'm in I'm in yeah. Broken Elbow, Texas, or Leaky County, Texas, or I, I don't know where I am. Uh, but it, you're, wearing, you're, you're wearing gloves. You're wearing a hat. We yeah. should tell the audience you're you're all bundled yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. 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 He looked like a he looked like a sideline reporter for a football game in the snow. Yeah, it's the like Green Bay Packers and the Pittsburgh Steelers here. <laughs> you got your isotoners <laughs> on. Like, in, in in a film where like the this the side character like like in the B plot just keeps getting injured, and every time you see him, there's like a new bandage or something with an explanation. Because I've got like a a bruise on my head, and like you can't see my broken toe, which is a whole man. I need to quit breaking body parts. Uh, yeah, I was gonna anyway. say, didn't you just break your wrist? Yeah, Recently, well, I broke my hand. hand. I broke my hand. hand, and then I took the cast off, and a week later, I broke my toe. Uh, uh, so yeah, so I'm but, I'm ready but for twenty twenty to be over. Eighty five percent of your brain is still it still covers it. It's still smarter than most uh, of us. That's Kaplan and I combined. Thank you, Kaplan. Combined gets eighty five percent. There we go. <laughs> so what's been going on at everybody's shows before we get into this episode? What have you been up to, Andrea? Why don't you start? Yeah. yeah so my show, our season two, wrapped in the lead up to the election. Um, when we were, it was a simple, optimistic time of, I guess we'll just go in and count the votes and see who wins. Uh, and so now I'm gearing up for season three, which I'm tentatively titling The Apocalypse, because I'm very concerned that democracy is over. Uh, and I'm bringing on a couple of experts on election fraud, um, someone named Walter Mebane, who is uh, uh, known for all this kind of math around elections coming up and then what the future looks like for U.S. democracy or democracy abroad, or do we even care? And maybe we're in a post-democracy society. So it's going to be really and Andrea, cool. I think I speak for everybody here saying democracy clearly doesn't work. We need strongman yeah. rule and like <laughs> yeah. an authoritarian that can come in and break some heads and like right. that'll fix Thank stuff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm leaning towards a military coup myself, but you you all let me know what what form of strongman you prefer. That's so. that's going to produce the snappiest uniforms, in my opinion. I mean, what do you, what Good do you point. want? You want you want you want a guy with the, those those shoulder things with the stars on it, or, yeah. or do you do you just want some some dude in a in a hoodie? I know what I want. <laughs> well, on the other hand, I did finally cave to uh, to just following what everyone else is doing and started watching The Crown, and so I'm just finishing season one, and I'm kind of like maybe they should just give the queen all the power and see what happens, you know? So there's that. Heaton, some would say that the real overlords are dudes in a hoodie who run Twitter and Facebook (laughs) and Instagram. So they're already here. Andrew, can I ask a question? Why would democracy be over now? Is it because um, all the fraud that we just had in the election or what? Well, it's the the conversations around fraud. and It's it's because Biden stole the election, Turner. That's why. (laughs) Biden stole the election. Didn't you hear about the hundreds of thousands of ballots in Georgia that went missing? And all that yeah that's right that's so right. why is it andrea seriously no so it's actually i'm most concerned about the doubt in elections and what that means going forward because regardless of whether or not you think there was fraud there's always some margin of error around every election all the counting is is imperfect but right. if half the country or or some significant subset of the country actually thinks that the election is not legitimate and again every year we have a not my president i didn't voted for them or you know score mm. bush we're still yeah. angry about it all that kind of stuff regardless of what side you're on I think there's been a, a seed of doubt implanted that I'm very concerned could be very bad in the long run for this country. I can't speak to other democracies. I remember in 2016, do you remember that Trump won? And then like three days later, there was like a protest, like a million people protested in major cities across the U.S. protesting the election. Right. And I remember thinking like, what are you protesting? Like, I don't know. Right. He won. Yeah. That's kind of right. the way it works. I, exactly. I, I normally, I normally vociferously disagree with Andrea on principle on everything. <laughs> yes. However, yes, I look it, forward it, to that. It, 
in this particular instance, I am in complete agreement with her. I just did a program on my show two weeks ago entitled The Election Wasn't Rigged, and I, I did a ton of research on it. Uh, it took me about 16 hours to produce a 45-minute episode, and I, I went through and I was like, I'm, I'm confident that the election wasn't rigged. And the reason, the main reason I'm confident about this is that the Trump campaign found zero evidence that the election was rigged. There were 17 different court cases all of them. I, I, did, I didn't read every court case, but all of the ones I read began with like, your honor, no one here is saying the election is rigged. We just think that there's been some incidental stuff, blah, 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 blah. And oh, for that right. reason, you should you, you should Ballot stop counting rivers. all of the votes in this heavily blue city in a swing state. That was pretty much every single one of them. All of them were thrown out. There, there wasn't a single admissible in court of law piece of evidence that was brought up to this to the point that Attorney General uh, Barr finally went, yeah, okay, the election wasn't. I mean, Barr, who right. you know has like three vertebrae left in his entire spine, all the rest of which have been taken out of his body and assembled into a Trump statue. Even that right. guy was like, yeah, this is, yeah, Andrea, I'm with you. I, I think like um, we, we tend to have this Whiggish view of history that uh, liberal democracy and f- free enterprise, individual rights, majority rule, that that is all a natural course of events right. that just it, it naturally arises. That's that's and it's not the case that that is in fact very much the exception to the rule over the course of civilization we the the default for mankind is despotism and uh, parochialism and we yep. have somehow managed to fight that and when you have the the sitting president of the united states basically uh, uh, throwing out the legitimacy of democracy for the purposes of his own ego or to sneak it yep. into the white house it's incredibly yep. damaging and i think to turner's point you know part of my concern is that going forward i don't think this opens the door for any side or any party to take advantage of this doubt that now exists. Like it used to be that we could, I hate the outcome and we can talk about whether the hanging chads or the Russians were involved in this and that, but they weren't disputing the rules and the way it was done. And I think that you could see, you know, if the, if the democratic party loses in four years, you could see them taking a page from this playbook because this doubt already exists. And that's really concerning to me. And I think you're right that it's not, I mean, I grew up thinking it's a given that we're going to live in democracy. And I talk a big game about enjoying sort of not being in a democratic country when I was living in China. And Turner, maybe you, I don't know if you agree, but it was at least nice to not have to argue about politics because you're just like, yeah, that's what's there, right? <laughs> I mean, the but, trade-offs weren't so great. Trade-offs, there's some there. trade-offs, right? right? But, so, but I would say that mostly joking. And now it's about? like, oh, I actually took it for granted because I can say that because democracy is a given and Heaton's right that it, I think it's not. I mean, yeah, Turner right, never uh, accepted that Ross Perot lost in 1996. You mentioned people were angry about hanging chads. I have never had a conversation with Mike Kaplan where he didn't bring that up. I'll be like, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of chilly. And he's like, you know what was really chilly? <laughs> well, Kaplan's grandmother famously was one of the hanging chad people. She voted for Pat Buchanan, mm. as I think I said on her last day. Yeah. Oh, so, right. Yeah, yeah, that's and, true. And yeah. And then it killed her. She died right after that. So his family coat of arms Man, has yeah. a hanging chat right there on it. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their grandfather would yell at her about it all the time. It's like, you can't believe you didn't look at it closely. Wow. <laughs> real, real contention. Well, we're uh, American hegemony is on the decline. And now we know who to blame your grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan, what about you? What do you got coming up? Uh, well, so, so two weeks ago, I, I did an episode on the election being rigged. And, and, and if, if you, if you were uh, listening to, 
uh, Andrew and I primarily like mutually bemoan the fate of Western civilization. You'll very much like that episode uh, because I, I not only talk about all the court cases, but I actually spend like about 25 minutes just going over American history and talking about all the junction points where we absolutely could have turned into a monarchy or we could have been absorbed into another country. Like it, at one point, and this is now, uh, I don't want to say confirmed, but there's a substantial amount of evidence indicating, yes, in fact, the, the president of the Continental Congress, uh, right before uh, the Constitution was signed, actually reached out to a prince of of Prussia and went, would you like to become the king of America? Because this isn't working out. We're not, this isn't going very well. And so they reached out to the Hohenzollers and that guy went, uh, yeah, I've, I saw what you guys did your last king and I don't feel like you'd really like a, a kraut coming in. Uh, so I'm going to hang back. But like, I mean, that, that wow. would be the equivalent of like Nancy Pelosi going like, hey, uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, like basically like that. So but um, most recently, Turner, uh, I just had on uh, Lord Martin Rees, who's the astronomer royal of the United Kingdom. He's the foremost mathematician in, in that country. And I, I guess Lord. as astronomer royal, I think he does the Queen's horoscopes. Um, very busy man. Uh, but <laughs> wow. I brought him on because he is the. Uh, he's the founder of the uh, Center for the Study of Existential Risk at uh, Cambridge University. And I went, wait a minute, can I just talk about the apocalypse with a British lord for for 45 yeah. minutes? And that's exactly yes. what I did. And uh, so it's a fun chat. And, I like and where your got, Thank you. And then what I've got coming up, um, I, uh, I'm very curious about what the actual scope and threat of uh, political violence is in the country, be it uh, Antifa, be it Oathbreakers, be it uh, Proud Boys. So I'm planning on doing um, kind of a deep dive this next week where I go in and say this is, you know, actually what's happening and how much of it's happening and what we should be worried about and that kind of thing. And I and I'll I'll preface I'm not planning to do it as like a. You know, this one's the worst, like really the left is the worst or the right is the like I'm not I'm not really looking to swing. I just want to know what's happening. There's a political scientist named Nathan Calmo, who I went to grad school with, who does a lot of great work on the influence of violent political rhetoric on hmm. political violence and whether or not leaders, and this was way before Trump, right? Whether or not leaders using violent language actually incited violence. So if you want to talk oh, to him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Thank well, you. We, uh, yeah, we, uh, we had our last two episodes. So we interviewed comedians around the world about the global events happening uh, related to them in their country. Two weeks ago, we had Paolo Masalas on. She's a comedian in Chile. And we I think we talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this on the air or off the air, but they have a, they, like, about in late 2019 in Chile, they, the government wanted to raise the price of subway fares by four cents. The people said, no. No. <laughs> and also, we we want to throw out the entire constitution of this country, <laughs> basically, more or along less. with it. And the government went, oh, okay, well, we, then never mind. Well, let's forget the four cent fare. And they said, yeah, and we still want to throw out the constitution. Yeah. The, the, wow. the, the Chilean government backed into yada, the hedge yada, yada, like yada. a Homer gif was like, whoops, sorry about that. We're <laughs> yeah, just going to forget yeah. all of this. Well, exactly. Months of riot, months of protest, hardcore <clears throat> Antifa style protests later. Yeah. And, and so uh, now it's gone. There is no constitution. The constitution's out. Um, I guess it's still in place until they pick a new one. But now they have two a year to two years to figure out what the new constitution will look like, starting from scratch, by the way. Just yeah. anything's we, on can, the well, table. Hold on. Can, can, we, can we get in on that? As Americans from, from, a, from a really kicking country, uh, I, like, I'm happy <laughs> to come in and be a consultant and be like, you yeah. know what, you should do three branches uh, or maybe the, upgrade, maybe do five branches like the EU. 
The well, issue is they might not want to do that because the original Constitution was basically written by Americans, uh, Milton Freeman and a lot of the Chicago <laughs> boys, as they call them, came <laughs> yeah, in and uh, wrote it for Pinochet, their old dictator. So they probably don't want our input, but we can propose it. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we learned that. I, I, I shouldn't mention Chicago. that I enjoyed Free to Choose. Just don't mention that. I went on a date one time where I mentioned I like Milton Friedman, and I could see in her eyes she thought I was the devil. It was just like there was just this like I could feel every every venue towards sex closing like an old timey bank vault the second I mentioned oh. Milton Friedman, and it's like the same thing with uh, Chile. Just don't mention it. Got it. Yeah, I she might like the fact that you approach relationships in terms of venues towards sex <laughs> is uh, maybe a separate podcast. <laughs> just want to flag that. I used Milton Freeman in dates as well in, in college, and I quickly learned <laughs> to stop doing that. So it didn't, didn't work for either one of you. And you're married. No, you're not. Yeah, you're free to you. choose. Yes, but it's free to choose to go home yourself. So I will say it works <laughs> great talking. for me every time I bring it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that was two weeks ago. Last week, we the most recent one, or this week, sorry, we had um, William Childress, who was the founder. Andrea knows him from, I yeah. guess, from out in China. He was the founder of stand-up comedy in uh, in Myanmar. He's an American, but he was in Myanmar. And Sung Su Chi is the uh, leader, the current leader of Myanmar. She's the most fascinating character on earth. We talked about her for an hour to learn more about her. In 1991, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Currently, oh, right, she's yeah. accused she, of genocide. Yeah, she she was under house arrest for like twenty years and was a was yeah. pro democracy, and then like got out and was like, "Yes, we did it. We took over the government. Now let's kill the Rohingya." <laughs> it was like, yeah. "Wait, what?" Yeah, <laughs> wait, yeah. hold on. Yeah. I thought yeah. we were just doing the. Oh, oh my. Okay, that's it. That's it exactly. So we're like, we had to figure out what's going on with her. One red flag. Her husband was on his deathbed with cancer. So she left her whole family in the UK. She went to college in the UK, got married, had kids, came back to the country to see her grandmother when her grandma was dying in like 89 or 90, maybe. That's when she led some revolutionary stuff, got put on house arrest. Anyway, in 99, her husband in the UK was dying. But this the entire time she had the ability to get out of house. Yeah, they said you can go back and visit him. I mean, anytime just, you want to leave your leave our country, you're go go for it. You know, go back to England. You just can't your, come back. Yeah, go see your husband. And she said, "No, I'm good. I don't need." <laughs> wait, 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 hold on, wait. So she wasn't under like total house arrest. She was just she just didn't have freedom of mobility in Burma. But it, like if, if she wanted to leave, she though, was if, like if in she's a like, quarantine basically exactly. before I'm we had quarantine. Fly to Cambodia, they would have been like, "Yep, yep, here's a bus. Go to Cambodia." Like that would have been okay. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if nope. you leave, you can't come back. That's the yeah. catch. She so must have husband, a really nice house. That must have been a pretty kicking place. Like she must have I had like really like good gaming technology. She could have also had a terrible husband. We don't know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what we think. Good. Yeah. It was a problem in the relationship. Definitely a red flag for anyone yeah. out there who's definitely yeah. some issues. So he was on his deathbed in '99. Yeah. They let her. They said you can go visit him and come back. She said no thanks, and oh, then wow. he died. Well. <laughs> And that so, was before Zoom. Like she couldn't even zoom into his deathbed right. or anything. I'll add this is also on a spectrum of military hunters. They seem to be on the cuddlier side. Uh, oh, like, like it, granted, granted, it's not a curve, but if they're like, I don't know yeah, if you're going to see your, agree, but... yeah. go, go see I've your, your dying husband. Cuddly be used in the context of any genocide to be honest so congrats there well again i'm in favor of the military uniforms i think i said that <laughs> earlier i think they're much more they fashionable but just also to reiterate, I did say 
We're grading just, on a curve. This is this is to me like the Swedish government's on a different spectrum than a military hunter. Mm, just right. to reiterate, as Kaplan said, for all those kids out there that don't remember, there was a world before Zoom. You know, you might not remember our audience might not remember it. But as Kaplan yeah. said, this was pre-Zoom. So. That's the key takeaway, I think. Key takeaway. So what are we talking about today? Let's see. Um, I can I can I go first? I have an interesting Kick it story off, yeah. here. All yeah, right. So I was reading. So North Korea, they're now North Korean um, uh, hackers, whatever we're calling them, have ha- recently hacked into six different companies that uh, six of like the whatever amount of companies that are trying to the leaders in finding the vaccine for COVID. North Korea has hacked into their computers. Apparently, try, when I first read this, I thought they were trying to spoil spoil the whole idea of all right, we don't want anyone to have this vaccine. The more you read into it, it's a little more complicated. They, the idea is to not much more complicated, but there is they do have a point. <laughs> they do have a point. They want to take it either for themselves or, but also to sell. And here's what I want to ask wow. you guys. Because they want to sell it. Okay, so for themselves, that doesn't make sense because they say they have zero COVID in the whole country. Right. They haven't yeah. had one case ever. They're the only country never to have a case of COVID. What, what leaders in our modern time, right? I wait, mean, that can, is... Wait, can, can, can I pedestal? Have they not had... Is, is this in the same way that North Korea claims to have like the highest per capita in the world and everybody has 150 IQ? Like They haven't had COVID in that sense? Like, Has anybody outside yeah, of this, North Korea it, said they don't have COVID? Yeah, it's exact. It's just like that. It's like when uh, Kim Jong-un... Uh, Kim Jong-un ill you know the dad got 111 hole in ones in his life 111 which would make him the best right. golfer of all time by the way the tiger um, was in north korea and and he 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 invented the double-sided meat burger i uh, know the double-sided meat sandwich excuse me that's it it's a double-sided meat sandwich uh which which we would call a burger and we stole it from north korean cuisine and this is my favorite thing he um he loved basketball so much that he like convinced michael jordan to send him a basketball and then he built an entire museum to the Museum of Korean American Friendship, just to house the signed basketball. Amazing! Yeah, I have a book of his. I got one of his books at the uh, 2010 World Expo in Shanghai. Wow. North Korea had a pavilion, and so I went into it, and they had a gift shop. And in the gift shop, every single book was written by Kim Jong Il, and it they were all how-to uh, books. Oh, like, so like, it was like he invented nice. the dummies thing. Yeah, like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Great I have is and and his, I have is Kim Jong his father uh, is Kim Jong Il's how to put on the perfect opera. Oh, oh actually, can God. I get that for my dad? Nice. That's a huge opera fan for Great his for birthday coming up. Yeah. Maybe I, mean, I can buy that from you. Do you remember any of them that we can maybe share with our listeners? Any of the tips? Yeah, yeah. I'll have them all, next I'll, month. That's a right. team. That's that we'll should be about. a tip yeah. of the week. Yeah. We'll, 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 when we when we I haven't told anybody about our secret uh, North Korean book club yet, but uh, we'll we'll add that to our. So next here's round my question yeah. anyway. So the question is, I think the idea, if I'm really taking their side here, the idea to steal the information on how to how they're making these vaccines and then recreate it cheaply and sell it, that market only exists because, as we probably also read, it seemingly, depending upon how wealthy your country is, how big of a country you're in, uh, we're going to be all be getting the vaccine at different times, right? So America, all the, we're going to get it first, UK, Western Europe, but there's going to be countries a year, two years later that are getting it. So if you're in some small country that has no money, you might say, hey, I'll buy the North Korean knockoff vaccine for 10 cents on the dollar. 
the question being, is this what's the best solution to get everyone the vaccine? Or is this just kind of the way the world works? The Robin Hood strategy, North Korea. There's a solution. Steal it. Well, hold on. Turner, can, 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 I, I want to make sure that I understand the, the framing of this first. So, so as I as I understand it, first of all, North Korea is not trying to hack the vaccine program for the global pandemic that's killed a million people as just a dick move. They're not doing it to cock block anybody. They're doing it because they want to steal it and then uh, hold the world hostage until the world gives the money for it. That's the that's the general idea. As far as I understand. Yeah. And you painted it in a negative light, but mm. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what that. No, but yeah, <laughs> it, at first I thought it was the dick move. I thought it was they're just like, well, we don't want anyone to get healthy because we're completely evil. And right. that may be the case. But from the reports I've read, the reasoning is to try to replicate it, which does make sense to replicate it for themselves because they have zero cases, as right. we all know, right? Well, clearly. So, it said right. use it for themselves the or sell it. Well, then immediate, immediate follow, dumb, dumb follow-up question here. I, I could be wrong about this. I had assumed that when a vaccine becomes confirmed and admissible to the public, that that data will be shared globally. No. And that the, the, the kink in the supply chain will be the actual manufacturing. But it, it's, it's, there's going to be like like it's going to be uh, IP property that's not going to be distributed globally. I don't, as far as I know, the it's, information. It's, I think that's private. They, that's yeah. a very that's very expensive information. Yeah, I don't know for sure either. Mm. But my sense is given that it's private or publicly traded or whatever corporations that have done this and they're in a race to get super rich by doing it. I mean, this is capitalism on speed, basically, right? It's also why some of them are saying, well, ours is 95%, well, the other one's like 91. Yeah. So I think, mm. I, I, I could be wrong, but I haven't read that anywhere, that they right. would be sharing it with everyone. And I'm reading as well that it's like, okay, if the Pfizer one goes through, we can all use that until the Moderna one goes through, in which case we can add that to the mix and then the AstraZeneca. So I think that it would be each, you could choose company vaccine. I mean, if you're ever at a point where there's a choice, it's like, do I want raisin bran or cornflakes? You know, you can actually choose. Are those the same brand? I don't know. But that's the idea. Which, also, yeah. like, we're obviously getting it first. We, and I think the UK, because we're both the countries that are that have pre-funded a lot of these right. studies, right? <clears throat> Shouldn't so Germany get it? Didn't they fund a ton of this? They maybe did. I know China is, is funding their own as well. And Russia is funding their own right. as well. But But I like your deeper point, Turner, which is, is it ethically okay or morally okay yeah. for we funded these things or these countries that funded these things for those people to get it first? Because I didn't do anything other than be born in a wealthy country, right? And so maybe who decides who gets to go first? Andrea's from yeah, Luxembourg. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's been living yeah, in America. Yeah. I mean, it could down. be two years, they're saying now, right. until it trickles all the way down right. to certain countries that won't get it. So what's, what's the solution? Is it Bill Gates going to maybe buy one and go like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a couple of things need to be pointed out. The, the first one is that um, free enterprise in, in, a, in a private system does not entail that all motivation and all impulses in it are, are for profit. Mm. It also includes the, the charity and, and it also includes altruism. Uh, and Bill Gates is a very good example of that. Bill Gates, who's a very industrious, very intelligent guy, is actively trying to come up with a way to get uh, vaccines across the globe for three dollars right. a pop which would be pretty pretty cost effective if he pulls it off so we should look at it in tandem with that um beyond that though i, I kind of uh i, I like uh, two thoughts the, the the first one is with with diseases you need to be strategic in, in where you're deploying the um De de deploying cures, deploying vaccines, and it may not line up with the people that are wanting to pay for it. So an example in the United States is 
when we have the vaccine, it'll probably be rolled out first to people that are a uh, high priority That's because right. they've, you know, are, are danger. They've got comorbidities, et cetera, et cetera. Group number two might very well be homeless people. And if you're if you haven't really thought about epidemiology, that might rankle you because you might think, well, wait a minute. I, you know, I'm paying for my health care, et cetera, et cetera. I would like to have this. But the reason that we're doing that is, is or we will do that is not because we think homeless people are more deserving than suburban people or vice versa. It has nothing to do with deserving. It's just they don't have homes, which makes it very difficult for them to quarantine which means that they can be a vector. And so if we're trying to staunch the extent of the disease, it makes more sense to be strategic right. in terms of where it's spread rather than any type of ontological right. merit. Um, so th those, and I could see that playing out internationally as well. Question though um, on that, because you could imagine, that if, a quick if, question, if, like you yeah. could imagine then you'd say, okay, who would be next after that? Uh, it would be all the people who refuse to quarantine and don't want to wear masks because they don't believe in masks mm, and they the are more likely to be vectors as well. So should all those people get vaccines before those of us sitting alone every single day, hypothetically. No, I, I, I think I think I would rank the volunteers yeah. over well, the, the forcible vaccination. I will say are first in line, then everyone else. But, but it's a slippery slope because it's people who are like higher risk, obese people, older people, uh, right. underlying health conditions, but then you could get mad at them for that. So. Right. And, right. and and you should also we should also add that America is the number one country in having fat people and having so we deserve to get the vaccine first because we have the most <laughs> risk here so we've earned that well but like but the, the the other thing I want to add though is that there is like the the flip side of this and this this is something that predates the vaccine is um, the profit model for medicine feels. It feels intrinsically bad uh, to a lot of people in the same way that like uh, price gouging during a disaster feels right. bad. Right. So uh, a, a blizzard is coming in and I, I now go, oh, a blizzard's come in. Well, I'll, I'm going to double the, the sale of gas and everybody feels like they're they're being they're taking advantage of. But at the same time, when you, when you crunch the data e economically, it, it actually you, you get more stuff. More people are alleviated. The, the, the pain of the event is alleviated by the price gouging because it incentivizes people to come in yeah. with stuff. So it feels right. bad. Bad, but the actual outcome is better. And a lot of the time with private medicine, it works that way with the United States. And, you know, we don't have universal health care. I would love to have universal health care, but we do have a profit driven system. We also produce way right. more patents than the rest of the world. Right. Um, our pharmaceutical industry produces way more research than the rest of the world. And it's somewhat telling that, uh, Turner, as you point out, that the, the first vaccines aren't going to be coming from state health departments in Eastern Europe or, or in, in China, but probably from the, the private companies yeah. that work within the capitalist framework of American Britain. So I'm I am somewhat hesitant to kick at that if, if in fact, they're going to have some level of IP. No, it's a really difficult trade-off between, yeah, the incentives to innovate from private companies versus the benefits that we might enjoy from public health care. Right? And that even before COVID, that was something, you know, the, the leading cancer treatments, the leading everything tends to come out of the United States. But I would also ask, I think for the price gouging, I think that makes a lot of sense if you're thinking about gas or food or something that it's not infinite resources, but there's enough that you could move in. What about the cases where there's finite resources? So one thing people get upset about with price gouging is airline tickets. So if you're in Florida and there's a hurricane coming, it's frowned upon for Delta and United to jack up their prices. And part of that is because you can't quickly fly in other resources to fly people out, maybe private jets or something. And isn't a vaccine kind of like that? Because there is a finite supply and it's not like we could say, oh, prices are up. Let's flood the market and make a fortune. Right. 
Uh, I, I don't think that I would I would have a government intervention in the case of Florida airline <laughs> tickets because it is basically in addition to being yeah, Florida. <laughs> Uh, it's it is I, I, I am I am I am opposed to the government intervening because people's feelings are yeah. hurt. like I like. And so I but but with vaccines, however, I do think there's a very good point. So like I would be I'm very much in favor of public funding of vaccines. Right. Uh, and I, I think vaccines are actually a very good example where the, the market does not have a yeah. good incentive um, and vaccines vaccines work that way. So if, if we've got a treatment for something like. Uh, we've we've got uh, we've got a heart medication. We know that there's going to be something in that case. It makes sense for my company to develop this. If it's a vaccine and the best case scenario is we give it to everybody, and the disease disease goes away. There's no longer a private sector incentive to do it or at least a much slower one. So that's yeah. an instance, I think, where there's a, a very warranted uh, public subsidy that should be in there, which I suspect that we're doing. Uh, my I, I don't know the mechanics of how we're funding all of this, but I would I would assume that it's a public private partnership where um, massive subsidies and or tax breaks, which are the same thing, are, are going to be funneled to Pfizer or Moderna or whoever and, and and that would make sense i like I, I would think that that would be the case like me the evil tiny government guy uh, i'm in favor of publicly funded Look vaccines um, and yeah. it, it just makes sense from from a, a public health yeah. perspective of like we, we all pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and if you can't you get sick and you can spread it to the people who right, pull themselves up right. by their bootstraps that, that, that you're, equation you're making work life out. bad for the wealthy of us turner i have a question for you do you think that why doesn't north korea just join forces with the bill and melinda gates foundation if this is what they care about well, because then they wouldn't be making money off of it. Uh, they believe all the conspiracies yeah. that the Bill and Mil- the Gates are like. Yeah, uh, they, they know that, you know, a lot of people think Bill Gates is uh, worse than North Korea. Yeah. A lot of people think that, yeah. Wow. <laughs> they're getting elected and. Oh, evil Bill Gates. The county Increasing global economic production tenfold. So, no, oh. I think it's obviously because North Korea wants to make money off of this. I mean, they want to steal stuff and make money off of it. I don't think it's completely altruistic what they're doing. If they just had uh, all the vaccines in the world and they said, give us nuclear weapons now, we'll give them up to you. Would that, th- that you could work? Could pull that up? That, yeah, it could there work. We go. There we go. Do it? It's Would you good trade to it? Know. Overall point of this story, it's good to know if we don't take care of the rest of the world, North Korea will. <laughs> yes, Rocket Man so will. There's your safety net. Yeah, you get small government and a safety net in one. Did they accept so our election results? I don't remember. Nice. Did North Korea? Did Rocket Man congratulate Biden yet? I don't. <laughs> I haven't heard this that. This is what I want to know. By the way, I think Rocket Man is Trump's crowning achievement. For that is a great. It's so catchy. It's so perfect. It's a really good name. I would be excited to be called Rocket Sleepy Man. Sleepy Joe's pretty good, but Rocket Man might be number one. Uh, Crooked yeah. Hillary. It beats Crooked Hillary. Uh, it beats uh, Lion's yeah. Head. Uh, low energy jab is my second. Little favorite. Marco was a good one though. It really, really, it really ruined one. Marco. Like he never recovered. <laughs> it really did. Well, Rocket Man is really the only one that's totally awesome, right? Yeah, the it's a compliment. Really it's a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Rocket Man. Rocket Man. <laughs> Does he have one for the for Chinese leader? No, he doesn't have. I want to know who his writer, who his joke writers are. Oh, Trump's his own writer. He does not have writers. That's you why think he's so? a great. I think he's such a great comedian for that purpose. He's he really is. He's, he's one of his own voice. Best of our generation. Yes. You know, they'll say that in the set, you had Carlin in the 70s, you had Carlin, you had Pryor, and then you had uh, 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 Rock in the 90s, you had Eddie Murphy in the 80s, and then uh, after him was uh, uh, Chappelle, and now it's Trump. So it's all black <laughs> dudes mostly, I, 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 and then it's Trump. <laughs> I, I still think there's a there's a good fifteen percent chance when when he leaves office he like his first speech is fooled you and the whole thing turns out to be performance art and he rips his mask off and he's Andy Kaufman oh, who's been alive be this whole time. Yeah, I will tell you this. I I know we're out of time a little bit, but to end this, I think Trump's gonna for sure. And I've read about this. Go on like a stadium tour mm. 
as almost not far off from what a comedian would do, yeah. but this for profit selling tickets, you know, Ticketmaster, 80 bucks a ticket to sit in the nosebleeds to see Trump just go right. nuts on stage for an hour and a half full set. Maybe you have an opener. Does you he know? do his best of, or does he Who do all the material? Be? Well, he doesn't even need material. He does 50. He does. He has his stump speech is like three minutes. And then it's 97 percent of it is just off the cuff. So he's one of those great crowd work. work. He's very good at crowd work. Kills. Yeah. 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 Uh, Are you guys volunteering to open? Who's opener? Joe Schaefer? Who who we got? (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be somebody who needs a a little more desperate, I think, than than all of us. Maybe Uh, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson could open. He could get Boris. Yeah. You you want Boris Johnson? This is a brilliant move. So all all politicians have like some some trick they do to convince you right. that they're not lizard people, and what what Boris Johnson does, which I like, I wish I had enough clout to do this. I don't, but I wish I had enough clout. Uh, there, there's there's a, a writer I can't remember who it is, but he writes for like I don't know the Guardian or Telegraph or whatever, and he talked about how he saw Boris Johnson's speech where uh, Boris Johnson shows up behind stage 15 minutes yeah. late. He's the headliner for this event. He's late. No one knows where he is. Everyone's freaking out. He shows up. He's super nice, and he's like now. What is this about? Oh, okay. And he do, he like doesn't have any idea where he is, what he's doing. Gets up, gets to the podium, and and uh, begins and like kind of loses his place and gets flustered and goes, "All right, I'm going to be honest. I I, I didn't know I was going to be speaking here today. I, I didn't I didn't know I was going to be talking about this. And I I want to tell you what's really on my mind. And then delivers this like very emphatic speech and gets a standing ovation where everybody's like, "Oh my God! Like we just witnessed this great." leader in america or in british politics like like stumble in and then play without a safety net and and like just speak from his heart and and the guy talks about what an amazing experience it was yes, until he yes, saw him do it again say, exactly the same i mean that's the standard comedy like stand-up comedy trick is you do yeah. a tiny bit of crowd work to make it seem like you're about to riff and you just yeah. do your plan material and you crutch in a way that if they knew it was playing right. so the boris is yep. underrated he's yeah he's, right. he's, he's a road hack yeah he's yeah a road yeah <laughs> yeah we're, we're like, or do, do all of your material, but figure out right. how to work it into the crowd and then go, yeah. all right, we should get started. Like that way you get in, like yeah. 15 minutes of being a brilliant off the cuff yeah, comedian. Yep. Yep. All right. So North Korea, maybe saving the world. Probably not. Got it. That's a, uh, well, I, so, so then sh- shall I transition? Cause I've, I've got, as we were talking yeah. about Trump a moment ago, I've got a right, Trump adjacent it. story. Uh, which is I, I have been reading speculation as to why Rudy Giuliani has gone like, uber uber rudy why he's gone into ultra mayor mode uh on behalf of of president trump um and so uh he and sid powell are are examples of of kind of just untethered from reality in terms of of what's going on with the election and uh i i i uh, i I won't relitigate all of this but suffice it to say there's not been admissible evidence in court at any point to the point that the attorney general who is a trump sycophant and toady is going guys let, let it go right so like why is rudy doing this and there's a fair amount of speculation that i'm reading of like well he's trying to get a pardon because there's going to be all sorts of stuff for him and i i think that that is um flawed flawed thinking for two reasons one i think rudy's more than earned a favor from donald trump at this point i don't think he's doing any overtime work to do it i think that rather i think people have um fundamentally misunderstood the role of an advocate and a thinker and and this you can see in a division between working as a courtroom attorney and working in media as as a 
proper journalist. What I mean by that is I, I think in political media, we're all operating in this sphere right now. In political media, you can be a thinker or you can be an advocate. And that is not to apply if you're an advocate that you're not thoughtful, but that it is either your job to be a surrogate for a particular team and to say their talking points and right. to litigate their case, regardless of whether it's true or not, or you kind of think out loud. And it means that you're not going to always be predictably in one camp or another because it's not your job to do that. Courtroom attorneys are by definition advocates. And and I've seen so much misinterpretation of what's going on with the election and the the, the quote unquote rigged election and fraud because people don't really understand that. I, I, I heard a talking point, a conservative talking point several times, uh, which was. Uh, Sidney Powell is a, a, a lawyer with impeccable credentials. It was always the phrase impeccable credentials, um, even though I had never heard of Sidney Powell nor had anybody else. Uh, and but the, the idea that like, well, like because she has impeccable credentials, this must be a like a really merit worthy case. I'm like, that's not how attorneys work. Like if 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 Mike Kaplan over here was accused of murder hmm. and a very respectable attorney agreed to be his defense attorney, no one would go, oh, he couldn't have killed him if he's got a good defense right. attorney. That's not how that works. Right. And like, and, and if, you yeah, are, sure, if, if you are an attorney, there's nothing wrong as an attorney. You should right. be prosecuting it like if, if it's if like literally Kaplan has a severed head and he has like a signed note saying I murdered this man right. as his attorney it's my job to go well we don't know that we're not hallucinating right like it could be like it, it's your job to do that and I, I think that that's the, the fundamental, mis uh, fundamental misunderstanding that people are getting from like Rudy Giuliani and a lot of these other people who are trained court people they're they're not thinking it is my job to prosecute the truth they are thinking it is very much my job to advocate for my team and my side right. and whether that advocation is actually syncopated with reality or morality is incidental syncopated with reality is my new favorite phrase so thank you for that that was very good i have a question on this whole thing and it kind of goes back to the beginning but i didn't realize you could pre-pardon yourself or pre-pardon anyone i've never heard that as a term before until like six weeks ago is that something that i just missed I, I don't. Has that been done? I, I don't know that it's been done before. That you that pre pardon. Well, I did a little bit of research on pardoning when I was at five thirty eight. We did a couple of stories about pardons because it was like two years ago, and Trump went on a, a pardon speech spree, and we weren't looking into pre pardon, so I can't say for sure. But we never came across it, and I read a lot of the rules pretty carefully. I could be wrong. I mean, had anyone heard of it. this before a couple months ago? No. I mean, I, I know that like in, in like the, the 13th century, you could like buy a, an adultery voucher from the Catholic Church in advance. That's awesome. Where you're like, hey, I think I'm going to get a mistress. And they're like, well, you'll need to pay you know, two, 200 libre yeah. before God could forgive you. And you're like, Good, I'll just go ahead and get that because I'm planning to go to Paris, probably meet a nice lady. There's a level uh, but of I, organization I, in that that I really respect. I really do. As someone yeah, who can't yeah, play hey, my own life, I, I respect Built St. Peter's Basilica. That's yeah. all indulgence money. They, they, they was, it was good while it lasted. Well, you could I mean, also like stranger, pay... Yeah, go ahead, Cap. No, I was going to say, it's one of the stranger loopholes in the whole uh, republic, I feel like, that let pardons happen. The president yeah. says, because it's Trump has destroyed so many norms. We know this. But one of the every president, going back to Clinton that I can remember from my lifetime, has always pardoned like some really yeah. shady people. Right. Uh, yeah. Late in the, like that January. Libby. No, they, they, January they, they, they do oh. it the morning before the swearing in. They, like, it's like the last thing they do. Yeah. I remembered something insane. And I, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. When we were doing all this pardon research, I was talking to someone, there's one political scientist who's like the foremost expert on pardons. And his point was kind of what Cap was saying or made me think of it, was it's left over from like the king and like ideas of having some kind of power above the law. And it's like one little piece that's left over. But the thing I'm remembering now is that this political scientist who I interviewed many times for this article, later went on a killing spree and like killed his two sons and himself. 
But right before he did it, he sent his data to his like closest colleague. And at the time at 538, I asked for his data and he was like, no, no, I, I, it's private. I sell it to the government. I this, that. And he, anyway, that's, it's an insane aside and not the point, but I just remembered all of this and I totally blocked it out. How insane is that? Wait, hold on. Wait, so what? if we read this data, will we become psychopaths? Is it like I the ring? Where if, if we, yeah. If, what was yeah, the guy's if, name? Yeah, it's just, I'll look it up. I, I, man, I blocked that entire thing out. And it was like two years apart. Like we did the story and I talked to him on the phone. He was totally fine sounding, but he was like, I can't send you the data. And then a year later, he did this whole crazy thing. I'll look it up. Yeah, so, so Kaplan, do you, to your point, I go back and forth on this and I, I think I'm in favor of pardons existing because it, like it feels really janky, right? Because it does happen every, every time a president's about to leave office when nobody's looking because they're on the, they're outgoing. They pardon a bunch of obvious criminals that are lackeys to the administration. That, that happens yeah. every Trump just happened, did it like it, earlier than everyone else. He yeah, did. Trump did it earlier. Yeah, right? do it. And, and, and you don't like it because it's like like with Joe Arpaio. Joe Arpaio flouted the law. I mean, he literally, literally Joe Arpaio got a get out of jail free card because he was doing agitprop for Trump and that like and it's like, yes, that is a horrible thing. Uh, however, I'm like at the same time, though, Trump's also commuted sentences for nonviolent offenders uh, that, you know, got arrested and were in jail for seven to 15 years for marijuana and things like that. And if if Trump in his last office or his last day in office went, uh, I am commuting the the sentence of all nonviolent drug offenders in the United States, I'd be like, oh, cool. Uh, I, I kind of like I, and I, I almost I, I think ultimately it is the same extension of we'd rather have. We'd rather have an innocent person uh, not be prosecuted and two guilty people walk free than the inverse of that. It's you know it's better to have a guilty person walk free than it is to have an innocent person behind bars. And I think pardons might work the same way. You know that the politicians are going to be scummy with it, but they might also actually good. pardon somebody that deserves it. And it's like I'd rather keep that. I'd rather allow the scum and have the pardon of the person that deserves it. So by pardoning Rudy Giuliani, though, does he also... Because I feel like Rudy Giuliani is the far, farthest fall from grace of anybody I can ever remember in my lifetime. Ever, ever. And like From like the 9-11 America's mayor, if he would have just died in like 2004, you'd be like this... You'd remember him like this hero, and he's fallen so far. Does the pardon, though, help? I, I feel like the pardon even hurts him even more. But also to pardon is... What's a pre-pardon? You can say yeah. if any point in the future, if Giuliani gets accused of something, I'm pardoning him now for that. Or does it have to already be like it's about to happen? How close? I, I suspect it's a blank. I think you could do a blanket pardon. I think you could go. I, as President Heaton, am going to pardon Turner Sparks for any crimes he has or may have committed. That's but I, but, so I, so yeah, then, so, I, so like you're creating. But, these... but I, I don't think you could do it. In, I don't think you could do it in perpetuity. Like I, I, I could be wrong oh. about this, but I don't think you could. I don't think you could legally go. I am pardoning Turner for homicide in perpetuity. Yeah. You are. You are like, I, I don't think you can do that. But I think what you could do my wife is you could say week. any any law that Turner has Peru. broken previously has is now expunged on a federal level. So. I have information. So one, in my looking this up, I have learned that Trump has actually, as of somewhat recently, according to Pew Research, uh, yeah, it's according as of end of November, has granted clemency less frequently than any president in modern history. And I don't know if exactly pardons and clemency are exactly the same thing, but there's like commutations and other things. And I think, for example, Obama granted a lot of clemency towards people who are in jail for drugs and sort of lower level as opposed to these high profiles. So we hear a lot about Trump's high profile pardons but he's actually using his power to do variants of this less than others. But I also found the name of this guy, uh, uh, P.S. Ruckman Jr. And it's a USA Today article. And the title is, a pardon expert emailed me his life's work before killing his two sons and himself. Wow. Yeah. 
We it's probably insane. thought he was going to get pardoned. Yeah. Exactly. No. <laughs> he killed himself. Oh, nice. yeah. Well, no. We can still be pardoned posthumous, post uh, death. <laughs> In 10 emails containing 65 spreadsheets, he was sending his entire data set of more than 30,000 presidential pardons and commutations. The first email said simply would want you to have this and use freely. Wait, hold on. So was he actually a political scientist or was he just a nut job with a spreadsheet? I think like, he was, was he a just... real political scientist. I think he was a professor somewhere, maybe Texas, Oklahoma, just naming places Heaton spent time. Yeah, shout out Oklahoma. <laughs> a polit- oh, no. I'm totally wrong. A political science professor who taught at Northern Illinois University and Rock Valley College. I don't know where Rock Valley College is. Northern Illini. Shout out. Yeah. Okay. There it is. Yeah. Andrea, let's, uh, I think we should keep moving. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. I've, We'll talk about that another time. We'll 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 talk about parts. That's that's that's, it's, that's it's for the, only... the the forthcoming World Smartest Podcast Network True Crime Podcast. We only talk about political scientists that lose their shit it's, and kill people. It's, it's one of two murderers that I have spoken to directly, and I'll we'll talk about the other one in the other Ooh, True Crime episode. That's a great Ooh, team. Look at that. Look at that. OJ Simpson. The people in the on even yeah, though what he said about me, it's not me. I'm not one of the other three. Other two. Yeah, yeah, not Kaplan. Kaplan's Kaplan's number three. Uh, so I am thinking these days about the decline of America's role in the world. And an article that made me think about it uh, in slightly more lighthearted terms is something that recently came out in The Atlantic about uh, a couple of American television shows about Americans abroad. So Emily in Paris and Ted Lasso. And the important thing is I have not seen either of them, but I've seen the preview for Emily in Paris several times. <laughs> and it annoys me to death. Real but- expert. But the reason I clicked on this article and the reason I'm thinking about it is that I have been thinking about the decline of American standing in the world. And I don't know if this dates me, but when I was in undergrad in the early 2000s in international relations classes, the big thing we all talked about all the time was hegemony, you know, like global leadership. I can bury. I bet he came up. Yes, I'm serious. I can bury. That's exactly right. And Uh the whole thing was wet. You know, World War Two and World War One and prior, we were a multipolar system in the world, and that was thought to be very unstable. It's like John Mearsheimer, all that. Very unstable, a lot of wars. Soviet Union comes along, and it's a bipolar system, U.S. versus USSR. Soviet Union crumbles in the 90s, late 90s, whatever, uh, and everyone is, like, rejoicing, the end of history, all of that kind of stuff. But a few people, I think Mearsheimer at the University of Chicago and others, were like, no, 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 we're at a unipolar system now we're in trouble. It's so much more unstable because the U.S. is in charge and who knows what could happen. And we've seen that at least in our lifetimes, it's been pretty rocky, I would say, (laughs) 9-11, yada, yada, right? All of that. And so the thinking now is in light of the Trump administration potentially causing U.S. reputation to decline among major allies, U.S. handling of uh, coronavirus being not particularly good compared to other countries, leaving international organizations, all of that, is the era of U.S. dominance over? And the other, to tie it back to TV, as I said, I've started watching The Crown, and you're watching the U.K. sink. And everyone's on a sinking ship, and they're like, oh, my God, we're sinking. And then I thought about a friend of mine when I was living in China who is from the U.K., and I said to her in passing, I was like, oh, maybe you know, China is the next superpower taking over the U.S. And she was like, no, the U.K. is the superpower. And I was like, you were delusional. And so then I was like, is there any superpower? And maybe all of this is a joke. So, well, can you, yeah. can, can you, can, can you clear, I, I, can you split it into a couple of things for yeah. me? Because I feel like we can make a difference between um, foreign policy hegemony and cultural hegemony. Exactly. 
and and I, I think America is still preeminent in terms of cultural hegemony. Like like, and, and the UK is a great example of that because one of the things the British find irritating is that they are now they are now satellites in our culture war. Mm. Um, so like like the the black experience in the United Kingdom is very different than the black experience in the United States. Like the, the if you're a black person living in London, chances are you are uh, descended from Caribbean immigrants that came to the United Kingdom voluntarily. Uh, the the black community in the United Kingdom is far more mixed race than it is in the United States. It, it, it's just different. Right. It's a different phenomenon, right? But like when we get involved, we're like, no, you need to understand your African Americans the way we understand our African Americans. We use that term specifically. Yes. yes, yeah, and call them African Americans because we feel weird calling them black. Right. And and so so I think culturally we're still doing it. Uh, militarily, I, I I think there might be something to that. Like, what, what do you think? Do you think that they're 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 uh, they're they're correlated or right. or they're unrelated? What do you think? Right. So so that's one of the problems with the idea of hegemony is that no one knows how to measure it, right? And so I spent uh, a bit of time this week looking at some actual data to say, well, if American influence is declining, what would that look like? And I will say, I don't have data on cultural influence, but I think you're right along that. There's military influence that we can talk about. There's leadership in terms of we are trying to create presumably a democratic world order as we started this conversation with, if the US is no longer a democracy, that could go down. And those numbers have gone down depending on how you measure democracy. And then there's economic influence where the US is still a clear leader, right? As far as GDP and it's an imperfect measure for those sorts of things. So it's actually not obvious what counts as hegemony. And can you have cultural hegemony while not having global international standing or respect or, you know, does the cultural stuff flow down from the other things or not? So we have cultural hegemony now, but would that diminish if we stop being a world leader in other areas. I, I would, I think, like for our cultural hegemony to pull back a little mm. bit. Uh, not 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 because I think we're producing evil bile. Like, I'm not the, you know, America's a horrible, horrible, like, oh, we're the worst thing that ever existed. Like, I'm not in that camp. Rather, I would just, I would like to get more content from other countries. Right. And I, I I don't want to crowd that out. Well, I do think uh, the pandemic has been good for that, because I don't know about you all, but mm-hmm. my Netflix suggestions are a lot more non-American yeah. shows. And I think it's just because they're out of shows, not because well, I'm speak world Speak for yourselves, because Turner and I co-host the number one podcast in Chile, Armenia, Mongolia. <laughs> this is and why I wanted to talk are, to you guys about this. We're yes. riding the cultural hug, whatever that word is, storm. We don't <laughs> I know, say it. That's so, but, we are accidentally woke on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We wanna, by no, by no yeah, planning of our own, we are now informing people about what's going on in the rest of the world. <laughs> but that was actually the whole point of our podcast was that we get, we're inundated with American news and only American news. Yeah. And one thing that we get that I a lot of feedback we get from other comedians around the world when we say, yeah, we started this because we only get Trump news in America. We want to get other news. A lot of people will tell us, yeah, we only get Trump news in my country, too. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's New Zealand, the UK, like it's uh, uh, I'm trying to think of who we had on recently, but maybe not Chile. They New get Zealand, their own news yeah. a little bit. But but a lot of countries are like, yeah, we get way too much Trump news as well. Hmm. So yeah. but I. I don't know. Um, I mean, basically, the feedback we're, we're contributing, we're trying to contribute, I guess, <laughs> not really on purpose, to inform American cultural hegemony. I see. We're Way trying to, to spread it. Patriotic. Yeah, we're spreading it. We want to get to America's greatest contribution. You were trying to inform us that there's stuff going on outside our walls, but it's yeah, still, that is a, what a we're great way to do. But, but the major feedback we get from American people is that, wow, I have no idea any of this exists. Literally every single week. I've never heard Belgium's of it. a thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and now this is actually making me question my quick agreement and uncharacteristic agreement with Heaton, which is maybe <laughs> American cultural hegemony is something that I perceive because I'm American and I'm aware of our shows and our movies and our music and whatever being consumed everywhere else. But for example, you know, Turner, when you and I were living in, in China, I at least constantly was reminded that no one gives uh, any thought to a lot of American culture that I very true. Also, so, you know, I was just very removed from my own culture there. Of course, Star Wars and the other things are still showing yeah. up, but it was it's not the influence that maybe I think it is. Well, a lot. Plus, like I, I, I only speak English. So as a result, I, I can only consume like, right. things that have subtitles. Right. So other people that are multilingual presumably don't have that problem, uh, even within the United States right. can consume different culture. Um, I, can, can I ask something I would love for you guys to help me unpack? Because this is something that I'm kind of swirling around in my mind. I've, I've got two different thoughts about American hegemony. Let's go. Um, on the one hand, uh, I like the kind of Eikenberry American system global hegemon uh, that, that you were talking about earlier. So, like, I, I think George H.W. Bush is a really underappreciated president. And the main thing he's underappreciated for is the Soviet Union imploded. Yeah. It fell apart. Our main enemy. <laughs> our main enemy. And not only did George W. Bush, like, not somehow, like, inadvertently cause nuclear war, he, he went to NATO and he went. Uh, I, I realize that this whole system we've set up of Western Europe uh, in the United Kingdom and America is designed explicitly to counter the Soviet Union and the Soviet menace. I think we should keep this civilizational block going anyway, that there's value to us all being on the same page with America as the main leader in it. And I'm like, oh, it makes sense. I, I, mean, I like that. I would prefer that America not be like in competition with Germany militarily. I'd rather us be on the same page than have to fight World War Three again. I'd rather France and, and America be, be on the same page. Right? right. So I like that. I like all of that. But the downside is I also don't want to be the world's policeman. And I and I'm a non-interventionist and I don't want to go into other countries and do regime change and regime toppling. And I, I'm struggling in my mind to figure out how we would actually maintain NATO and these civilizational blocks of liberal democracies with, you know, free enterprise and individual rights, while at the same time not actually using the power to go in and spread it by force. And I, I don't know. I don't is, is it, it like is isolationism or, uh, you know, uh, muscular liberalism the only options? Or do you think we could have these civilizational blocks while while reining them in? Two, what, what two unsatisfying responses to that. One, America's policeman, I don't know about you, Turner, was one of the most common phrases I heard in Mandarin when I was living in China. Anyone I met was like, oh, American? World, world's policeman. That's what they would say to me. Like, okay, great. Uh, number two, there is a professor at Ohio State named Bear Braumuller who does a lot of work on American foreign policy going back way in time and argues that we were ever fully isolationist and argues that that was actually something of a myth and we never really hmm. lived that. I don't but have to okay. I, I promise. I was go. Yeah, go ahead, Cap. No, sorry. I mean, I agree. He makes a good point, but it's like, I don't like, it's not good to be the world's policeman in a way, but it's like, who else would it be? It can't be China. It can't be Russia. It can't, can't be. On the world no one police? in Europe is strong enough at this point. So someone has to. It just seems the like EU as a block, if they act as a block, could be, but I, I see what Heaton's saying. It's like, I think what could get you a long way is a partnership between the U.S., United Kingdom, and the EU, because they're two separate things now. Almost, right? Almost two separate things. The other thing, even if we remove the military intervention from this, the, the other part of it that's difficult is, like, the, the United States 
here's where I get controversial. The United States funds the Western Western European welfare state, and we do it because we're protecting them. They don't have to pay for their military oh, because we do the it time. for them. He's and he's right. <laughs> but the, and, and like we like they, the people, France and Belgium and Germany know that they can spend a ton on social welfare Japan because they don't well, have to want to go east. Yeah, yeah, they don't have to. Yeah, Japan's a great example. Yeah. Japan didn't have a military till ten years ago, and, and and even now they know that America's the big brother that's going to protect them from China, so they don't have to pay money to protect them from China. Like, we're doing all of that, right? And that does irk me, where I'm like, well, I would rather either us pocket that cash or put it in our own social welfare state. And I'd sure like the Europeans to, like, level down a notch on the sneering at us, given that we're paying for all of this yeah. stuff. Um, but at the same time, though, Take that, if we do, agreed. Yeah. if we do that, however, and this is what Trump was doing, if we do that, however, and we go, well, we're not going to fund this, we, we want you guys to fund it yourselves, we're not going to be a predominant force, then what happens is we do split up, where Europe goes, well, we're, we're not going to be on the same we, we're at peace with you i don't think we're going to go to war with europe but rather than having a a concerted foreign policy goal where we're all uh, in a consensus government we're going to leave the coalition and go do our own thing and like good, good luck to you we're at peace but like same with the uk and i like i don't know how to square that circle of i would like to maintain that nato civilizational block but it seems to only function if america is the predominant robust force in it both militarily and in terms of funding. does losing all of that then create a power vacuum for china to just continue its influence around the world because they've reached out to all kinds of countries that the U.S. has been like, oh, no, we won't deal with you. You're not a democracy and all of that. Mm. So are we just creating more opportunity for them to take over? Sure. But I but I, I'm kind of fine with that in a lot of cases. Nice. Like uh, <laughs> like I, I'm I, I don't remember who it, it was. It was it. I think it was George Kennan um, that came Shout up out. with the. Uh, the, 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 he had a three-pronged approach to the Cold War, which was we, we have three foreign policy goals as a country. Don't allow in any belligerent powers to our hemisphere. So we, we don't want Russia having any bases in South America, Mexico, or Canada. Yeah. Uh, keep open the Pacific um, the Pacific trade lanes and keep Europe from being dominated by a, a foreign ad- adversarial power. And I'm like, yep. I'm on board with that. That's the guy, like, right? That's the I, I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, and I, I don't want to do anything more than that. So, like, if if like you know, if 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 Laos wants to go socialist, I'm like, that yeah. effect. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I, I'm all right with that. Uh, but like, but I, I do kind of like all right, Monroe Doctrine plus like Russia doesn't get to own Europe, and that's kind of that's kind of the heat right. doctrine. Yeah. We'll call that the heat yeah. doctrine. Yeah, yeah, the heat doctrine. Thank you. Take it so back. Wanna, that guy's dead. I want to hear what Cap's been thinking about, but, but my final quick question roundtable for all of you is uh, the one other piece about the American hegemony and cultural export is. This idea of Americans being these friendly dummies abroad who just kind of show up and they're goofy and they're fun, but they don't know anything about the local culture. And I think most of us have either lived abroad or spent some time abroad. How accurate is that, Turner? Yes, I would like to go for I have a lot of thoughts on this. At at one time, I fashioned my entire comedy career around this. I remember. Uh, It's complete bullshit. Americans are the dumbest people on earth. And that um, when we go somewhere, we don't know anything and everyone hates us. Completely wrong. Uh, First of all, everyone's dumb. Okay. (laughs) There are dumb people in the every single country in the world. And once North Korea, except North Korea, they're all geniuses. And once those dumb people get enough money to travel, the rest of the world sees that those dumb people exist. They're everywhere in every country we've lived in, uh, in every country we've traveled to. And and so that, that that might exist, that there are not that there are dumb Americans who travel. Most of those dumb Americans go to Cabo. 
Okay. They're not going to Eastern Europe. They're not going, they're not like digging hard to find the crazy places around the world. Those are self-selecting smart American people who are so, uh, 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 so used to that, that stereotype of themselves existing that we go the other way and try really hard not to be that. And almost sometimes annoyingly apologetic. Yeah. I mean, the people who put the, Canadian flag on their backpack because they don't want to be seen as American deserve to be shot. Cowards. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with them. Be just, just be a good American. I yeah. never deny that I'm American when I'm those abroad. Those people are I'm losers. Awesome. I'm charming. We call those, my brother and I call those, it's the first time out of the U.S. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? They go, oh yeah. my God, I've never left. Ooh, the world hates us. Ah, ah, ah. I'm going to put a Canadian yeah. flag. I'm, eh, ah, ooh, oh. Do you think that right. means that I, Canadians abroad, no one actually believes that they're Canadian? Well, I don't know, but I do know that for about a year ago, China and Canada had a big spat. Ooh. And it was the first time ever Canadians were putting American flags. Yes. Like, there we go. Flags. Yeah. All right. That was I, I like uh, Turner. If I can add to that, like, like I, um, th- there's, there's, there's two things that I encounter because I, like, I've been to. First of all, I've been to like 35 countries, and I've never oh, been frightened being an American in any of them. But one, one time I was in Romania, and a, and a guy really didn't like me and could tell I was American. But like that's one time, and I really think it's more of a Bucharest thing. The rest of Romania is charming. Sure. I love their vampires and the Roman. Have you got a Bucharest but, episode on Lost in America yet? No. It's coming, coming right, soon. Coming. Right, the right. pipeline, uh, but, 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 but I, I've never had a problem with that. But there, no, what, what I was going to say though is like, like there is this, this global. Cons- seat of like uh you know i i'm from uh i'm from uh um, from uh italy and i know about american politics do you know about italian politics and like what you should immediately say who is the president of mexico and a blank stare will come over them and you're like right you know our politics because we're running the show right we like we're, we have hollywood and we and we have all these networks that your guys are talking about but like when you start asking people about the globe rather than america they don't really know the globe they know maybe their next door neighbors in the same way that like you might know the governor of texas if you're in oklahoma or vice versa but like the, the idea that everybody's globally literate except america's nonsense and then beyond that there's also like like when i was in in, in scotland like you talk to people and like sometimes they'd have a couple of drinks go i don't care for americans i don't like you and i'd be like really like like what like do you not like black people from detroit oh no they're, they're fine i have no problem with them at all what about like chinese people chinese americans from san francisco oh no they're fine i'll, I'll let them i'll just because like, americans like you you've got these big cowboy hats and your guns and you're loud and i'm like you hate texans yeah that's who you hate you hate Texans and like a lot of other or people in America hate them, <laughs> but you're not, you're not like John Wayne. It's the most ethnically diverse country in the history of mankind. Yeah. It, it's an incredibly polyglot culture. The idea of hating it, uh, hating the Americans nonsense. Right. Yeah. And it's also accent, yeah, the, the only country where you're allowed to just hate us. Right. It's like a, and it's like a cool thing, but yeah. Well, that's and right. that's my one issue with Ted Lasso. So I, I did watch the whole thing and mostly the show's pretty good. But there's one point when he's like halfway through his season coaching this soccer team. He's an American football coach. Um, what I read, they were like, oh, it's another American. So the, also the article I read, they were like, oh, it's another American who another white male who failed up to right. get the job. Complete bullshit. At the beginning of the movie, they said he he's come he's uh, come off he's just come off winning the Division Two college football national championship. That's how they found him. So he actually succeeded greatly. Got found and got put in thing. So anyway, halfway through the season, season by the way, is halfway, it, yes, halfway through the season, he doesn't know. They have to explain to him what relegation means, mm. which means that you the fool. It, it, relegation <laughs> means that if you're the one of the worst teams in the uh, English Premier League, you get kicked down to the minor leagues for the mm. next season. There's no one. 
there's no one so dumb or you wouldn't go through half a season without knowing that basic rule of a sport. Even if you are a dumb American who knew right. nothing coming into the league, that's my And rant. if you okay. co- and soccer coaches in America are all like, they're kind of, they, they think they're smart. They're all like Eurocentric people. They all watch premier leagues. And, yeah. So that's yeah, anyone who's a fan of stuff. soccer in America thinks they're smart. Yes. No, they know, re- they know relegation. It's a cool term to tell people. So yes, good point. So yeah, I was. Right, uh, Shall we move on? Yeah. Yes, yeah. We solved it. We're done. I, you know the so the election happened, and a lot of people. One of the things people are really excited about is they think like, oh, Trump's out. The environment's going to be solved now. We're going to have an Earth for our grandkids. I hear people. You know, right. we, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll sign the Paris Accords, and everything will be back on track. Yeah. People like I know that they say like twenty something progressives were just not having babies because they thought there's not going to be an Earth because the environment's right. so terrible, and. But then, you know, there's some things that Biden can do, of course. He can do some executive orders to stop drilling in the Arctic. He can do, like, little things. But, like, what is he – like, does anybody here think that like, he can just, like, he magically do anything that, like, waves a wand that's going to make a big difference in the environment? Because, like, get rid of emissions from all of our industries and everything else that generates Yeah, growth. because there's, like, yeah. the things that you see in, like, the Green New Deal or whatever. Like, people, you know, gets made fun of because it's going to get rid of cows and cars. But, like, people do need all – like, there's an economy. We have a whole economy <laughs> that's based on jobs in the oil industry, based on people like to eat meat, based on yeah. people like to drive. They're just not going to change all their behavior. People really don't care that much about their – they just assume, like – so. And then so you have these two problems where you have like people on the left who are really want like major changes to the environment and then people on the right who really don't want any changes other than like superficial things maybe. Right. And then it's but it's like we do need to figure something out. Right. So I've always been as like my contrarian take was always to be pro nuclear Mm. because like I'd always say it's cleaner than you think and it gets a bad rap because of Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. And it's, it also has the, 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 the least amount of deaths per kilowatt hour of any, any energy on the planet, including if you factor in uh, Hiroshima, was, Nagasaki right? and Fukushima. Right? This is why I want, I want to bring up things I agree with and then have heat and give all the smart facts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring, Ka- Kaplan is even smarter than he thought. But I, yeah. but I just feel like nuclear is hard to sell because like, let's face it, the hippies in the Green New Godzilla. Deal are never going to go Godzilla. along yeah. with nuclear. So, but I've... I've learned of a fourth way. Another, you know, there's coal, there's oil, there's all these things, there's nuclear. There's a thing called geothermal energy. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) They need a new publicist. They need something. I have never heard of this until I read an article recently about it, mentioning it, where it's basically like taking heat. They should call it volcano power. That sounds way cooler. Yeah. Yeah, Taking heat from inside the core of the earth. And and they say that if we harness it properly, it can like heat the world for like millions of years. And um, and it's like we can use what I like about it is we can use the technology like the fracking technology that's the evil fracking we always hear about the oil industry like it's just, it's just, it's not like telling them to learn to code like Elizabeth Warren said that the uh, fracker should do I think they should learn to code you know that's it's telling them to use skills they already have to bring heat up so I think like this is like the type of thing we need to figure out I want to know if I can incorporate into sort of our alt middle yeah. as we say environmental policy. I would like your thoughts on this, especially Heaton, since you seem to know. Hold. Well, can I just go first? Yeah. Because I thought the world was flat. So <laughs> how is there a core to a flat surface? That's a really great yeah, point. Isn't it, a, isn't it a turtle? Yeah. Isn't it supposed to be a big turtle? Is the turtle on fire? Uh, is that how volcanoes work? I think so. Okay. 
Yeah, Kaplan, I'm with you. I um uh. I, so here, here's my thing: is I I I wish there were more environmentalists. I don't think there are actually very many environmentalists. Mm. And and here, here's what I mean by that: when I was working in Capitol Hill, I got to have a conversation with T Boone Pickens, mm. who is uh, uh he recently Natural died. Gas he was a Jesus. Uh, yeah, he he died about a year ago, but oh. he was a. A huge na- uh, natural gas tycoon and oil tycoon. Was he and killed he was by a pi- political scientist? He, he uh, murdered he, his two kids. I, 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 I believe Trump is yeah, going to pardon. Exa- oh, man, Turner beat me to it. I was trying to figure out how to yeah. do it. Yes, he did that. Yeah. Um, but 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 he's uh, Halen Hardy when I met him, and and I he was pitching some program of he wanted subsidies for the American government to build like even more wind turbines and things. And I, I remember what I think he wanted uh, money for gas. Uh, and and I was like, you know, Mr. Pickens, uh, I, I'm an environmentalist and I have some problems with this. And he very kindly went, you know, in my experience, everybody's an environmentalist until you ask him to pay $200 to help the environment. Mm. And I think he was dead yep. on. I think he was dead fucking on about that. The amount of like, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back. I, I'm an actual environmentalist. I actually care about the planet. I volunteer at animal shelters. I donate money to environmental causes. What I don't do is spend all my goddamn time liking Captain Planet on Facebook and then vigorously masturbating to what a wonderful person I am for saying stuff about the Green New Deal on Twitter. And just so that and people I, listening know, po- he is wearing a coat and a hat while sitting in an unheated camper right now. So yes, he's yeah. like cranking yeah. something to generate energy for this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 yeah. So, so I'm I, I I welcome more people to the environmental movement. I wish more people were in it who actually cared. And, and if you're I'm going to say if you can afford improv classes or you can travel abroad and you've never donated two hundred dollars or more to the environment to anything environmental, you're not an environmentalist. Shut up. You just, ex- and you so, just described all of Brooklyn, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. Well, and I don't think the they are of sun, solar power and wind power. But they don't actually know the nitty gritty of these things, the practicality right. of them working. No. And, and that's that's the other thing, too, is that like we, we can't approach the environment like a religion. Yeah. It, this is an engineering equation. Right. This this is a situation of do you want stuff? Yeah. OK. Do you want energy? Do Do you want the rest of the world to continue to rise in wealth uh, and not to the level of like, oh, man, I, I, I'm debating whether I should get more cupcakes, but like not being in poverty mm. and just like dying and watching their children starve. Like, do we want that? Yes. Right. OK, well, then we, we also don't want to have the planet cook and overheat. Uh, so we, we've got to figure out engineering solutions to this when we approach it like there are. Uh, totems of the holy team, which are wind turbines and solar panels. And there are totems of the evil team, which are anything that burns like that's that's a religious way of approaching mm-hmm. this. It's not how we should like like uh, fracking is a, a great example. Like, if you're an environmentalist, fracking's been great uh, in terms of limiting the, the carbon footprint. Like like back in the 90s, uh, we didn't sign the Kyoto Protocol and everybody was, oh, America didn't sign the Kyoto Protocol. Like we're horrible. We've surpassed the goals of the Kyoto Protocol. And we did it explicitly because of fracking, because fracking is so much cleaner than coal is. Like like fracking got us right, off coal. coal we, so naturally, your, we naturally got off coal. Yeah. So 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 Kaplan, back to your original point. Coal, like, by the way, ge- ge- geothermal I think makes a lot of sense, particularly if you could take fracking and oil industries and have them convert their infrastructure and resources to doing that, to where we don't all of a sudden have to bankrupt every oil state and and shale state, right, yeah. but rather could get them in. And and I also I, I don't like. There's also this idea that all the tycoons just like they have like a visceral goal to destroy the planet and they just love oil. No, they want to make money. Right. Yeah. So like give give them an opportunity to make money with geothermal power. Terrific. Right. So I. I have- have some some thoughts slash questions so one isn't iceland currently fully powered by geothermal energy and also aren't they mostly volcanoes so is this actually conceivable for countries that don't have a whole bunch of volcanoes or is this where the incentives for people to get rich could find whatever volcanoes we have in the u.s and magnify them or do something to them so like what else is there besides volcanoes like is this even a possibility two i agree with you heaton that 
it's an engineering question in the sense that there are lots of levers we can pull. And it is unfortunate that we've kind of glommed into these camps where things are either evil or okay. And I think nuclear that Kat brought up is a good point that no one, not enough people know how to think about, including myself, right? Mm. But that also means it's a social question because it's about persuading people to care about this and to be open to a conversation about fracking. Like I can just hear the environmental people that I know being angry that we even said anything vaguely positive about fracking. And so it's engineering, but we can't get to the engineering until we get the social side of it. Well, yeah. the other thing about fracking real quick is that uh, we don't have to buy, uh, buy, buy oil now from like murderers mm. in Saudi Arabia. Also uh, true. But yeah. uh, I just Googled it, by the way, Iceland, 25% of Iceland is currently powered by geothermal. Oh, it's only 25%. I thought it was 25%. the whole thing. It's still a right? pretty high 25% though. proportionally is a pretty high level. Now, granted, there's only 300,000 yeah. people in Iceland, so it's not but more volcanoes, yeah, not... hopefully in the future. So I mean, their volcano, exactly. Yeah. Their volcano to person ratio is insane, right? And I don't yeah, know how you yeah. replicate that elsewhere. That's that's the thing. We need to get more volcanoes. <laughs> so volcanoes that's the and... only way to get it, Cap, is through volcanoes? No, it, it creates – there's there's sections of the of – the, you use those sections, right? Is it my understanding you can get more heat, <laughs> but you can develop it in other areas, I believe. There's like – there's a way to do it. Is it basically have... like – so for oil, we drill pretty far down. Is it to yeah, get to it, like it, whatever it, the – is in the middle of the earth, we just have to drill further? Would that do it? I mean like in, in theory, if you can do it because like the, the core of the earth is 4,000 degrees, which is about the same surface of the sun's temperature. Yeah. So like if you go down far enough, you do get the heat. Uh, I, I, I think the issue – and I don't know this. Perhaps you know, Kaplan. I, I don't know uh, where, where that's accessible. So like, like as of now, if you're doing geothermal power, it's, it's typically near geothermal springs. So it's, yeah. it's near like, like, you know, like hot springs, right. Arkansas, they were saying things like, like hot that. Springs you can use like you we talked about when we were in your show like this some guy was cooking a chicken in the hot springs that's what he made me think right yeah on yellowstone yeah. Now yeah. Thinking, yeah, oh yeah, we yeah. should have been born in favor of that you could hero of the week yeah here yeah you know, I think the, the technology would be about expanding it because you could use more sites into one spot it's just a matter of having a political will but maybe that could be biden well, well, like left field thing nobody has a prepared argument against this so you know he could come out with <laughs> hit him hard hit him where they hard Kaplan so like like I, as I as I recall there has been talk of being able to convert fracking and oil technology into geothermal um, geothermal engineering do, do you I don't know this do you know is there if you already have all this infrastructure can like like our um are depleted shales like an easier place to like artificially create hot springs or something like that? I think like that's that. what the is, theory is, there... is. I don't. Yeah. Okay. I, I, my peripheral knowledge. Which would be great. Like if, if you could go into West Virginia and Appalachia and Oklahoma and Texas and go, hey, like these places that have been squeezed for all of the natural gas in there. Now we can like tap them and turn them into hot springs and you get like a cool bathhouse. I was say, and yeah. Yeah. Cheap electricity. I've been to my share of hot springs and uh, they're pretty nice. Yeah. 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 We're all, all going to have power plant on top of renewable it. energy and better skin. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're for. And I'm just I'm very pro baths. I really like baths. That's uh, I would I would go back to Budapest oh, just to go to. Are the there any hot springs out we are right now in the in the in the wherever you are in West Texas? We're we're we're, we're <laughs> am in in, uh, in in Gout County, Texas. Where are you going to bathe today? You just go. Do you just go to like a public bathhouse and? You know, uh, you know, when you're living the scamp life, Kaplan, you just go two or three days without a bath wow. sometimes. But for, fortunately, when it's 40 degrees outside, you also don't sweat. And I live very much alone. Uh, so I don't have to worry about any of the externalities of mighty this. Mighty heat. Living I off think the, the next time we do this, Heaton's going to be in a cave somewhere. Yeah. yeah. He's the lowest <laughs> carbon footprint. I'll have grown the beard out. I'm about, I'm about to like trans... Yeah. Yeah, transcend into a hermit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it, guys. Yeah. I think that's it. We solved Might it all. Problems yet again.
So be, before we sign off, could we all do a, a quick round of our shows in, in case uh, our, our listeners want to follow up and listen to the glorious programs within the network? That's right. Great idea. Yes, we are uh, Lost in America. You can find us at lostinamericapod.com. Also on any of your uh, podcast platforms, uh, search Lost in America. And on YouTube, we put the video up every week, plus clips at uh, just search Lost in America on YouTube. And you can watch your show live on Twitch on or semi-live on Twitch. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. We also debut the video every week on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Comedy Hub on Twitch. So look for Comedy Hub. You can chat with us while we're on there. Cap and I are there live. So there's there's two hubs online. Good to know. Yeah, yeah, multiple hubs. No, (laughs) I've I've joined the the chat. It's a lot of fun. I uh, I'm the host of Ask a Political Scientist and Pretty much any time throughout today's episode where I said, actually, there's a political scientist who does a lot of research on this. I have them on my show along with a comedian and we break down what's actually going on uh, uh, in the world from like a research perspective. And I will say my greatest regret in life is I didn't get the murderer political scientist on the show before it all went down. So you can't look forward to him, but I have other non-murderer political He's scientists. A tough this, this would have been some wacky sound effects in that it episode. Would have been the, the, the foley on really that would have been, been quite yeah, intense. Yeah. Heaton, yeah. what about you? Uh, I host The Political Orphanage. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, on Wednesdays, I do a thinky, substantive episode, much like what you just hear, heard uh, on today's program. On Fridays, I do uh, comedy, or excuse me, I do Friday Release Valve, where I bring on comedians just to kick around funny headlines. So that's for my benefit, so that I don't have to be political all the time. So if you just want the comedy, show up on Friday. If you don't want the comedy, but you want the substantive rants that, that I subjected you to, and the brilliant friends that I bring on, as you've heard today, check out The Political Orphanage. Beautiful. All right, that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Bye, all. Good seeing you guys. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.